Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Hey, welcome everybody. I apologize if I cough or anything, but I'm under the weather a little bit. But I have to tell you, uh, today's show is going to be about dealing with apathy or apathetic people. But the bottom line about apathy is it is the opposite of love. And what that means is a lot of people think hate is the opposite of love. Well, hate means you still have enough emotion to show it about someone. And apathy means you just absolutely don't care at all. And so it's a very dangerous place, especially in a marriage or in a relationship of any kind when it goes to apathy, because that means that the person doesn't want to spend, the apathetic person doesn't want to spend any more emotions on the relationship. That means they're almost out of gas. You know, so what exactly is apathy? Well, in a sense, it's something like falling in love. You can describe it all you want, but, you, you you know, until you've experienced it, you can only guess what it feels like. So what makes the feeling of apathy unique is that it's essentially the feeling of not feeling. Um, and doubtless, it's something that at some point in your existence, you've encountered. You know, we all have in some way. And for whatever, you know, or whenever you feel that something vital is missing from your life, you lack the motivation or drive to pursue it and you're afflicted with emotionless emotion. And through much of psychological research, it's now accepted science that you must experience feelings about something if you're to take uh, a personally meaningful action on it. So that means we're not going to take action on things that we're apathetic about. And society as a whole, our government as a whole, is apathetic, you know, and without any compelling emotion to direct your behavior and apathy literally means without feeling. So you just aren't sufficiently stimulated to do much of anything. And true apathy is a feeling, though uh, like going numb, it's one so muted or held with unrecognizable tension that you may not feel it at all. But it's also an attitude, and sadly, the attitude is the one of indifference, unconcern, unresponsiveness, detachment, dispassion, and that attitude really takes, you know, takes, saps you for your energy, and, and uh, that you begin to feel lethargic, you're listless, um, you're almost paralyzed to act, and certainly without the will to do so. Which is why apathetic people are so easily identified by their passivity. Demotivated, lacking enthusiasm, their interest in confronting life's challenges is seriously compromised. So they don't just care enough. And frankly, they just don't care that they don't care. And that's what's dangerous about apathetic people. Many people uh, feel short of a drive or a lose in their spark occasionally, but apathy is a persistent loss of emotion to do things or lack of interest in things. And it's, it's different from depression because apathy is much more common among people with, let's, let's say, dementia uh, um, than people without dementia. So about 2 to 4% of older people with 
without dementia have apathy at one time, but about 50 to 70% of people with dementia have apathy. So a person with any type of dementia can have apathy, but is particularly common in the uh, front temporal dementia. You know, apathy can start at any stage of dementia, but, but it develops early on. And I'm not saying that apathy is just going to happen. In elderly people. It, it happens in all people. It's just that as a medical issue, it happens primarily in older people. And it also can be a medical issue. And so when you see apathy, you may need to go to the doctor to find out if there's a medical reason why a person is apathetic. There may be a sense of brain damage, uh, numbing. Oftentimes, trauma can cause that kind of a, a, a thing, which is apathy. You know, um, unquestionably there's times that may be short-lived that we all hit a wall of apathy that we don't care you know but you have to look at the various clues and the causes of apathy and leave it up to you to decide on what is characterized by uh, the prevalency of the disorder and the, the most particular thing is how much is this dictating your life if apathy is a part of life if apathy is a part of someone you have to deal with in life that can be one of the most frustrating things in the world. You know, independent of um, etiology, the ultimate consequences of, of all the conditions of medical, such as Huntington's disease, dementia, Alzheimer's disease, vascular dementia, you know, uh, uh, many other people. It's in schizophrenia. Um, it's, it's in a dysthymic disorder, it's in some depressions, it's in some bipolar disorders, and also with the heavy use of drugs or alcohol, that can be a part of it. And even marijuana or even certain medications like opioids can cause a sense of apathy. And so it can be much more than just them making a decision and taking on the attitude of being apathetic. Once again, it really needs to be checked on a medical level first off and then taken as a psychological level if nothing else has been found. You know, th there's a lot of things that lead to apathy. And, you know, maybe you can relate or maybe not. You know, if you, have you uh, been having negative thoughts about yourself or your prospects? Are you afraid to act out of fear that you might fail or be rejected or confirm once and for all that you're, you're inferior, incompetent, inadequate, worthlessness, or, or is possible that, that uh, long ago you actually did experience some failure or rejection because of that old uh, defeatist programming, you haven't been able to rebound from it. And so some people are negative thinkers. They, they project in advance that a negative outcome is going to take place, and then they live in that reality. And that means that, you know, don't go to a sports game if you're going to predict a negative outcome because you'll have no fun. You know, so people that are negative projections are going to have a very difficult season of life because they're predicting negative outcomes. They're not hopeful. They're not faith-based. They're not really thinking in terms of what's going to give them a positive chance. <clears throat> also, um, you know, if something uh, recently happened to you, something you really cared about that has left you disappointed and demoralized and pessimistic and hopeless, 
And, and so now you have uh, 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 an event that you can attribute and you can begin to feel cynical as though whatever you might do to change things could possibly make the, the slightest difference. That kind of thought process, which is depression, is also leading to apathy because that means you no longer want to feel. And so you're going to want to escape that by either t- developing a psychology that will prevent you from ever being hurt or by going into drugs or alcohol to make yourself ignore being hurt. You know, um, have, if you become bored or you're worn down by daily routines that seems like there's nothing in life to look forward to, without realizing it, there's something inside you that's simply given up on creating a more joyful, gratifying future for yourself. And so now you've created this hopeless state when you're feeling a sense that your uh, past and your future have no hope. And so a lot of people resign to the sense of apathy to just kind of sit there. You know, a lot of people will get apathetic, and we'll talk about this later, in relationships and in marriage. They get apathetic because they become so hopeless that things will never change that they basically give up without realizing that if they change, maybe everything else will change. And so it's sad, but a lot of people will go to apathy wanting the next move to be everybody else's rather than their own. You know, uh, uh, if, if anything, if anything we've just talked about describes your apathy, or you can identify other factors responsible for non-engagement in a state of being, it's likely you're able to relate to one or several descriptors. And I'm going to go on to some descriptors uh, w- that may help you understand where apathy is coming from and if you have apathy in your life. You know, once again, apathetic people are dead rather than alive. They're alive, but they're dead. They're, they're, they're not existing. They're just like zombies. And maybe that's why everybody loves zombies is because they really don't feel. They just walk around. And that's kind of what apathetic people are like. They don't really contribute to life. They simply just walk through life. And hopefully at some point, something good will happen and throw itself on the hood of their car. You know, um, if you can recall a time when you felt no interest uh, and, and generated excitement or no enthusiasm was created, uh, like a po- project or a hobby or sport, and, and you just felt like, bah, you know, I don't like it anymore. I'm done with it. I, I, I don't have any feelings for that anymore. You know, or a movie that you used to like or, or you know, uh, a music that you used to like or a favorite restaurant that you used to go to, but now it's just not there anymore. That sense of apathy we begin to build on and relate to and use it for various experiences. And also, if you, if you couldn't get yourself motivated in your job or your profession, you're bored by all its repetitive tasks and responsibilities. And with that result, just showing up for work felt like an ordeal and your performance was totally impaired by you going out there and half-heartedly with minimal emotional involvement. You also may uh, spend wasted time in life vegetating in front of TV, playing video games, mindlessly surfing the internet, knowing full well there are much better ways to occupy yourself. You know, you're feeling one down or washed out, unable to prevent yourself from furting away your time, but that is a sense of apathy. Stopping exercise, but you tell yourself, you know, you just weren't up for it at the time and you give yourself lots of excuses and, and you indulge yourself with comfort few, uh, food and very little nutritional value. 
Well, that's another sense of apathy. You know, or let's just say you couldn't devote or commit yourself to anything for no goal, no pursuit, no activity seemed worth the effort. You felt overtaken by indifference and, uh, you know, you get the doldrums. Well, that's apathy. So there's an overarching cause of apathy and it's probably pessimism about your future and that self-defeating attitude could derive either from early childhood programming, which led you to believe no matter how, Con- uh, consciously you applied yourself, you still can't succeed, or more commonly, a series of events in your present life that leave you feeling simply like you can't win for losing. And so, you know, when you're you're sunk down deep in the pit of apathy and, and climbing out seems far too arduous for the amount of energy at your disposal, what can you do? Well, there's a lot you can do. Actually, through affecting uh, such uh, an excavation is generally gradual, multi-step process, but it's a good thing, and it may take a little while, but you can dig yourself out of apathy. Although there's a lot of practical things that you can do about your apathy, you won't be able to do any of them unless you manage you and, and to change your mindset, regardless of what initially causes you to feel so mo- unmotivated. It's your present day outlook on it that now keeps you stuck. And your immediate task is to alter that outlook. And in short, you're much better off focusing on how to fix what's inside your head than what lies outside of it. And no question but that you'll need to force yourself, you'll actually force yourself to uproot when it's already taken residence deep in in you. So ask yourself, am I willing to make a commitment to myself to give this apathy a fight for its life, even though doing so feels like it will take a lot more energy and effort than I'm now capable of? Now remember, you know, if if it's going to linger on indefinitely, its repercussions are enormous. It can possibly... Uh, live a life, you could live life to the fullest and be happy and fulfilled and content, but if you give up actively pursuing your goals and desires, in addition, failing to act can lower your self-esteem, and eventually you start distrusting your feelings of as worthlessness and guilt and shame, and oftentimes the relationships with your children, with your spouse, with your family, with your friends, all start to go away because they're so tired of making so much energy to try to deal with you. And so it's a big thing that if you can't save yourself, it's not likely anybody else is going to be able to save you unless you're willing to change. You know, so you have to transition from passivity to problem solving. And, you know, what can you do right now to move beyond your mental or emotional inertia? So what's the easiest, most doable first step you can take to pull yourself out of this apathy? Well, brainstorm make a list of what isn't uh, working for you and what can make your situation better and if your particular circumstances aren't uh, susceptible to change can you accept them for what they are get over it and move on you know the critical thing here is simply to get unstuck from what's left you in a suspended animation so inject some novelty into your routine you know routines can become dull and tiresome so find ways of breaking loose from your routines. Maybe challenge yourself to initiate a conversation with someone at work that you don't know very well or change your exercise regimen. 
uh, you know, when or where or who you work out with, what exercises you typically perform. Make some changes to your diet, trying to do new dishes or food combinations. Go on a trip. Take a long walk in nature. You know, uh, you know, be creative here. Maybe consider applying for a new job or go back to school. Pursue an interest you've forgotten about. Or, or maybe it's something you dismissed and you never realized you really needed to take it serious because part of you really wants to do what that is. You know, it, it's very important for us to recall and reawaken happier times when you felt more enthusiastic and alive. What hobbies or leisure time activities did you have to engage that you found exciting, like drawing or painting or reading, even doing crossword puzzles, you know, making music, dancing, designing, gardening, you know, blowing bubbles, whatever. It hardly matters what delighted you in your past, but anything at all will do to get you out of that apathetic feeling. The other thing is to direct your attention to a goal you might pursue right now. Consider your values, your aptitudes, the, the preferences you have. Choose whatever goal might capture your attention and interest and help you create and re-engage with life, even if it means arbitrarily selecting among three or four things you consider the past and, and don't let yourself anguish. Choose something right now. You can always change your mind later. What's important is that you lift yourself out of your current state of apathy. But don't choose anything too complex that's going to, to make things uh, overwhelming for you. So give your present apathy and, and, and understand it, accept it, and then say, I don't want it. I need to start something new. And if you can't do that, obviously, go see a therapist. All right. We're going to talk a little bit more about apathy and how to... Uh, deal with children that are apathetic because children oftentimes can be apathetic and we're also going to talk about students that are apathetic and partners that are apathetic because that can be a very complex and difficult thing to deal with so tune in and come back let's talk more about apathy and dealing with it come back your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to transform your life. Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. 
Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about apathy, and I'm going to go into apathy in children because that is one of the most common things that we end up finding that in our, our children, that in students, that in uh, people that are older, that are, uh, you know, with dementia, things like that, and also uh, in our partners. And so, you know, we got to learn what the message is sending because apathy can send you enormous amounts of messages. You know, with children, they're going to say things like, you can't make me or uh, I don't care. But, you know, those kind of expressions are meant to defy uh, parental authority or discount the power of parental command. And and beyond the common use of I don't care is, you know, a serious psychological issue that parents have to be mindful of. And that's that expression of apathy. And the various meanings can convey uh, a lot of different things. So apathy in children is also uh, can be as a pretense, like I don't care if you don't like how I'm changing, an 11-year-old might, uh, you know, explode as, as a parent tries to censor them or talk tough with that, that child at 11 years old. Uh, also, uh, the, the, the parents might stick to their standards. How you talk with friends on the playground is your business, but how you talk at home is ours. You know, none of that, you know, kind of language here. But it's hard to be in early adolescence because what gains you points with peers can earn you demerits with parents. So they may still want their parents' good opinion, but to save face, they pretend that things don't matter. So their statement of apathy is a situation that is really bravados many times speaking. And so what they actually feel is I care too much about what you think. And the new to me is and I'm having a difficult time because I'm trying to make friends and that doesn't agree with you as my parents. And so they don't know what to do with it. So they go to apathy. Also, uh, parents need to see that I don't care what you think statement for what it is. You know, and avoid strong statements of disapproval at this vulnerable age. So disagreeing with the young person's choices when they feel they must do something that you know 
uh, you don't like them to do uh, is going to be very hard for you to do. But the deal is the more harsh of a circumstance or more harsh of an opinion you take, especially when children are somewhere between 10 to 13 or 14 years old, they think they know everything and they but they know they don't. And, and they just want to get that uh, peer approval because they're still developing who they are and they're taking on characteristics, not for life. But most of the time, they're taking on characteristics of their friends to try them on to see if it fits their personality. And many of times it doesn't. But that's that experiential stage of life that they are in. And so naturally, they're going to repel against what we approve as parents. You know, they also use apathy as boredom. You know, there's nothing I care to do, you know, 9 to 13. They have a loss of showing interest of doing anything. And so they uh, discard childhood hobbies, possessions, because they no longer want to be defined by them. And they no longer want to be treated as a child. And and so they don't have, you know, uh, older likes or interests or activities that replace those that have been let go. So they're kind of in neutral at that point because all the things that identified them as children, they've kind of let it go in order to make room for whatever they want to do to pick their life up after that. You know, so, uh, you know, when it comes to knowing how to meaningfully engage themselves, they're, they're kind of riding on empty and that's boredom and that can be apathy. It doesn't mean it's going to take forever. The parents, it's very important for you not to take a, a negative uh, prediction that this is where they're going to be the rest of their life. You know, while parents are often inclined to trivialize boredom in their, in their adolescence, it's actually a very painful emotion for them because it's an expression of, of loneliness So a young person can't find a safe way to connect with themselves or with other people or the world. So they feel disconnected at loose ends. A lot of them at this point turn to video games and they just focus their whole life on video games and making all their communication with people that they never see. And that can be a very sad thing. So it's very important more than anything when they're talking about being bored Take that as lonely, but also take that as they need to break out of their comfort zone and they need to have activities where they're engaged with other people and in order to feel their way through how to make relationships at that stage in life. Oftentimes, um, short-term boredom creates the opportunity for the adolescent to develop new resources, entertain themselves. Long-term boredom should should catch uh, parental attention because it's often a staging area for impulsiveness. And a young person is willing to do something, anything, with friends to escape the emptiness that they share. And, and so this is a time when parents need to keep their kids adequately busy. So impulsive risk-taking to cope with long-term boredom is not allowed to rule. Also, kids turn apathy as a sense of defiance. You know, who cares about grades? You know, middle school uh, school students often do that. You know, as academic performance falls from failing effort, it should be good enough to just get by is how they feel. And so the formerly high-performing young person is rejecting the importance of school achievement to which they're committed as a child through their uh, grade school experience. And, and uh, their parents are still on board with the grade school, uh, school child, but now they've got this kid that doesn't care about their grades. And so this expression of apathy, they intend to show the adult world that they no longer want to be wed to the values of childhood. 
not caring about what mattered to the to that child what matters to the parents feels like an expressions of uh, of apathetic or a- a- adolescent uh, independence but what they're really trying to say is they're trying to find their identity and at this point that seems to be more important to them than their grades and they don't really start understanding the value of grades until they start being held accountable for the grades in a sense, by the outside world needing them to have experiences and have education to fulfill a job or other responsibilities. That doesn't mean parents should let up on that education. What it does mean is they have to make room for their personality development and also have contracts held them account- hold them accountable for their grades. And so oftentimes you have to understand also apathy for children the I don't care attitude is to try to trick you to believe that they don't really care about the things that you want to take away from them. You know, um, you know, for, 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 um, it's, it's a sense of deflection that now you won't take my video games away because I don't care if you take my video games away. And they act like that for a long time, but you have to wait them out. You have to know what their commodities are and you need to stick to them. And by doing that, you need to observe rather than make verbal judgment. You need to observe where they're spending their time and how they're spending their time. You know, uh, you have to also denote that you still pay, expect, you know they're trying to find out who they are, but you expect them to pay attention and complete their homework and study for the test. That is their job. As adolescents, that is their job. And they have to do it no matter if they want to or not want to. Also, kids use apathy as a defense. Like, I don't care about uh, dating anymore. And so some high school junior may feel jilted over a girlfriend or a boyfriend that they've had for a little while and, uh, you know, feel like they don't want to have that painful lesson of love anymore. And so they kind of push themselves away away from the dating process. But, you know, uh, caring takes daring. And the lesson of a young person has learned because of when it comes to love, the risk of hurt is always there. So apathy at that juncture is not a way to heal the suffering, but it does defend against becoming enamored again. And respecting that decisions, parents can also help the young person appreciate the good aspects of this last relationship and learn how to develop a more loving attachment when they feel ready again. Also, um, many kids use apathy as indifference. So adolescents can be very uh, self-centered, socially limiting experience and extreme uh, causing young people to lose empathy for other people and their preoccupation with self-interest and, and their confinement to their own social circle of friends. So, you know, in, in the first case, concern of others is sacrifice to caring only for their self and ignoring the needs of those that they live with. And when c- parents complain of this, uh, you know, they, they say they only think of themselves. In, in the second case, you know, that the student may be so committed to the social clique and sticking to their own kind that there's insensitivity and indifference to the welfare of others outside of their immediate associations. So they seem to think who cares about them in that case. You know, a healthy personal relationship have to work two ways, not just one, not just the adolescence ways. And because after leaving school, the young person must be prepared to function on a larger, more diverse world. And a lack of empathy and range in personal relationships will not serve the growing adolescent. 
You know, parents need to insist on mutuality with them and do all they can to broaden their experience and enlarge their sense of a social affiliation while they're still living at home. You don't want them to do this on their own dime, on their own time. That's going to develop a lot of destruction in their life because they're going to have to get a job and that means they're going to have to function as human beings. You know, also, many kids use apathy as cynicism. You know, uh, uh, they look at the, the large impersonal world and the job market that's inhospitable. And that, uh, that last stage of adolescence finally secures maybe an in- entry-level job, which gives them just enough to move in with uh, some friends who need a third roommate to make rent for a one-bedroom apartment that they all share well. You know, that may happen. And because the present is discouraging and the future looks unpromising, it's tough to care about life when life doesn't appear to care much about you. So if you've just graduated from high school or college and there's no opportunities and, and that you thought awaited someone at your advanced education, life can feel unfair. And so that added pessimism to apathy and cynicism can result in creating an outlook with little hope and a lot of disappointment and a lot of anger. And so they start to feel let down by the world and then they diminish their opportunities by moving strictly into uh, uh, low-income situations where them and a few friends start trying to support each other. And that's not a good thing because oftentimes that leads to where can we get the fast money and guess where that might be? Drugs. Hmm. Because, you know, you know, cynicism makes it difficult to stay motivated. It can be the enemy of effort at any time when it's uh, in a person's will. And it's even harder to try to overcome that. So, you know, parents should not spare the older adolescent of this time to struggle. They can offer encouragement, provide perspective to relate to some trials they went through and when they started out many, many years ago. And also, children develop an apathy from substance abuse. At at any stage of adolescence, when life gets hard to engage, it's tempting to escape from those demands because they're around them everywhere they are. You know, a, a lot of substance abuse comes in because it's an escape and it's about freedom, freedom from worry, from pain, from responsibility, from uh, unrestricted, uninhibited pleasure, you know, and, and the effect of substance abuse is an altered psychological state. So depending on the dose and the frequency, substance use can take the user from sober, caring, to less caring, to acting carelessly, to becoming carefree, to not caring at all. Uh, about being intoxicated or getting wasted. And so when regular use of alcohol or marijuana or uh, other psychoactive drugs becomes established, a loss of normal caring can disable effort. So now apathy erodes ambition, motivation falls, health healthy functioning is harder to maintain, and another impact on substance abuse on apathy is not caring about consequences and engaging in dangerous risk-taking behavior. And that unfortunately happens many times in childhood. Apathy from depression also can take place. And, and you know, what difference does anything make is, is something that they say. Nothing matters anymore. Um, you know, they call it feeling really sad or or, uh, you know, that we just need to give up time or whatever, but that's not what you want to settle with. 
You know, um, we want to find things within our children that motivate them. And it can be a really bad cycle when depression can breed apathy and apathy can sustain the depression, hopelessness, helplessness, pessimistic, fatalistic. When the young person loses sight of what they used to matter to them and, and they don't have a sense of reviving their sense of positive purpose in life, to restore that functionality, maybe it's time to get some outside help. Maybe it's time to get some therapy, some counseling. Maybe it's time to go to faith and see if faith can rev that engine back up. Because faith, when it's discovered, can make immediate breakthroughs in life. And I'm talking about faith in God. You know, apathy masks a whole lot of problems. And so uh, the lessons for parents is don't ignore it. Don't ignore protracted or pronounced apathy. It can signify something serious. And yes, number one, go to the medical doctor. Number two, go to therapy. Now, we're going to move into apathy in couples. And, uh, you know, we when we are moving towards apathy in an ongoing state of dismissal and distance from each other, it, it can, usually is accompanied by a lack of emotion that was getting uh, honestly kind of scary. And you might not know much to do about it. But apathy, really, if you're in a marriage or in a relationship that's committed, you know, it ought to scare you if it's there. If apathy doesn't scare you, it should. It's how those 70-year-old couples you see at McDonald's wound up staring at their fries and barely acknowledging each other's company. You know, it's something that starts with cynicism, stating your complaints as a defect to your spouse's character. You never clean up after yourself. You're so lazy. Contempt, claiming that you're superior. You're a jerk. You know, defensiveness, like instead of listening to your spouse's critiques or defensiveness, uh, redirects criticism by proclaiming you're innocent and their guilt. You know, if it didn't work, uh, if you didn't work so late, maybe we'd have sex more often. And then stonewalling. That's another mechanism of apathy. Withdrawing emotionally from interaction with your spouse instead of getting angry or defensive. You just don't care anymore. For example, even though your spouse is trying to communicate with you, you don't give them the normal feedback that conveys interest or concern or respect. And, and when your relationship is stuck in that stage, it's either on or headed towards life support. All right, let's come back and we're going to talk more about apathy in couples, apathy at work. Come on back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, 
You'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Show and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about apathy in couples and... You know, it's a very serious thing when apathy is going on because there's usually a lack of physical intimacy. So when they're not physically affectionate or having sex with their spouse, that's usually a clear sign that something really deep is going on. Um, Date nights disappear. You know, I know it's hard. It's expensive to find a sitter. But if you're not making an effort to date your spouse like you used to, it's another clue that something isn't quite right. Also, if you're doing your own thing, you know, we all need our own space or interests or friends. But if our discretionary time doesn't involve our spouse very often, it's obvious that we're struggling with apathy. And if you're so busy with your kids that you don't have time for your spouse, that's fine for your kids to be involved in in a lot of activities. But do they really need to play the violin, star on a traveling soccer team, be the first child to land on Pluto, you know, whatever. You know, maybe our kids' uh, uh, frenetic schedules also allows us to avoid connecting deeply with our spouses. So, you know, there's always hope from rescuing your marriage from apathy. And, and, And I'm sure if you have that, you want some solutions. Well, you got to first, if you want to fight apathy today, admit that you're vulnerable. Even though you have a great spouse, uh, you're not above it. You know, get a jump on it. Apathy is a journey, not an event. It's far better to address it as soon as you see the warning signs instead of letting it go on and on and on. And let it hurt. If you're in a tough season in your marriage, don't shut your heart down. Tell, Tell yourself you and tell yourself you don't care and if you're someone of faith have an honest conversation with god you know about it and and then you know like peter 5 7 read that that's a good phrase in the bible you know someone has to take a risk and go first your spouse not may not be receptive but it's your best shot hey i know we've been distant but i love you and i want things to improve and so you want to work at it 
and be and that's the best defense to a good offense. We need to get creative and put regular effort into our relationships. Involve others. If you can't work things out with your spouse, involve your friends. Get get your church or your faith community involved. Seek counseling. You know, get help outside of yourselves if things are not working. You know, if that it, it may not resonate with you, but you know, it's always a good thing to pray. It's always a good thing to pray to God for help. Even if your spouse won't pray with you, you can always pray for your spouse. You know, and that's a very important thing. You know, don't take your partner for granted. You know, when one partner takes the other partner for granted, there's a clear lack of respect and consideration for the other person. So maybe your partner has stopped showing appreciation. Maybe they've come to just expect you to pull your weight without a thank you needed. And if your partner doesn't acknowledge you verbally or with eye contact when you speak, this is another sign of being taken for granted and treated disrespectfully. And and so sometimes people can view their spouses simply as the roles they play in a relationship, like the housekeeper, the breadwinner, the mother, the father, rather than the unique individual they first fell in love with. So being taken for granted also manifests as a lack of interest and effort in keeping the relationship interesting and exciting and neglecting to show small acts of love and kindness. So eventually, one taken for granted will also grow apathetic, disconnected, and further damage the relationship. Also, the spending less and less time together is crazy, but it's a symptom of an infectious apathy that shows up when a couple stops wanting to spend time together when they once might have spent close evenings talking, watching TV, weekends, having fun. They now go their separate ways while they're in the same home. They isolate themselves on the computer or tending to the children and don't make effort to physically connect. Um, Also, avoiding conflict. This is a sure sign that both one or both have grown apathetic. And and that lack of conflict in areas that they once uh, found were difficult, this often happens because you're afraid of rocking the boat. So perhaps conflict hasn't been resolved in a healthy, safe ways in the past. And so you suppress your emotions such as sadness, anger, worry, hurt because you don't want to you want to avoid your partner's reaction or rejection, Um, you know, instead that you replace it with work or kids or hobbies and you avoid the pain bottled up. But you see, conflict is healthy. It's how you do conflict, you know, and conflict is best done by sticking to your words and not your expression. That means speak it. Just say what your conflict is, but don't add all the emotion to it. Be flat and straight. You know, I'm really sad because we've done this and this didn't work. I'm really upset about you saying this to me. It doesn't have to be a big Broadway production, guys. Also, um, once again, that lack of physical or sexual contact, emotional intimacy, and quality time are diminished and resentments get to settle in, and uh, pretty soon physical closeness and sexual intimacy disappears, and you see, you tend to live more as strangers. You know, if uh, one partner is more apathetic than the other, uh, it can impact self-confidence and passion in all areas of life. And if you've noticed any of these signs in a relationship, it's something that you need to step up to. It, you know, it doesn't matter which one of you is more apathetic or disconnected in the relationship. If one of you is apathetic, then you both have a big problem and it needs attention. Since you are the person that's listening to this, you know, take, take the matters into your own hands 
and, and, and without blame or anger, acknowledge openly that apathy has negatively impacted your relationship. State your deep desire for reconnection. And if you're sure about your feelings, then state your desire and figure out the best course of action. And you also want to state some specific ways apathy has harmed your connection. Again, without blame, but acknowledge what you perceive and then state that your that your highest vision is for a happy relationship and what that might look like. You also allow your partner to respond without being defensive. That means you say, I understand or I hear what you're saying. Don't sit there and, and rebuke what they have to say if they're gonna if they're gonna give you the time and space to, to actually open up about this issue. Think about what you have said and digest the information. If your partner reacts with anger or sadness or, or apathy, then ask to revisit the conversation in a day or two when they've processed their emotions. You know, and when the time is right. Ask them what they need and want from the relationship. You know, are, are, are you both on the same page? Do you long for the same things and feel there's a foundation for love and shared values? If so, brainstorm together and, and make some specific actions that you can take to reconnect in an emotional and physical way. And remember, a relationship that is sunk into apathy We'll have a lot of problems to untangle and a lot of buried feelings to uncover and address. And, and most couples don't have a good time navigating through this. And if you want to see a marriage counselor, that sometimes is the best way to navigate through the impact of apathy on your relationship. Now, if you look at apathy at work, you you, you know, many people used to... Uh, uh, truly love their job, but they don't anymore. Some people, yeah, you know, not likely, not very likely, according to research. Many other things like recent studies reveal that about 48% of employees worldwide don't even like their jobs. More than 80% of U.S. workers feel stressed at the office and only 30% feel engaged and inspired by their careers. You know, these facts are sobering. And so, you know, what causes apathy at work? Well, number one is micromanagement. Micromanagers may have good intentions trying to get work done well, but they drive people crazy because they don't act like you're an adult and they won't give you any sense of freedom to get things done in your way, in your time. There's no room for you. They want to have a factory, you know, um, it's amazing how uh, disengaged employees might stay. Uh, they might even stay at the company and muddle through it. But, uh, you know, if they don't get that autonomy to be creative at work and to have an opinion, to have insight, to be able to offer uh, their insight, then they're not going to feel too engaged at work. And that micromanagement leads to apathy. Also, a lack of progress, you know. Uh, you know, money for nothing doesn't feel so great. You know, while it may seem that we work for our salary, studies show that we want to feel that our work matters. And if our work doesn't matter and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, then a company suddenly gets its act together, they're more than likely to lay you off. And so the deal is, you know, don't just sit there in your job. You want your job to be meaningful. If your job is not being meaningful, if there is no recognition, if you're just doing busy work, that's a good sign you need to plan ahead and begin to set your course for a new job. 
Also, job insecurity. Anytime a job is insecure, uh, especially if they keep announcing month after month, we're going to lay off, or every six months, we're going to lay off, we're going to lay off, and all of a sudden you see your friends, your peers, people all around you are getting laid off. You know, when we see we're on a sinking ship, we prepare to jump. You know, who employees who work for unstable companies or in jobs that are deemed expendable will only invest enough to keep in their paycheck while they look elsewhere. You know, and as a leader, it's extremely difficult to keep your best talent in place in uncertain times. But if you communicate frequently and give your team a sense of loyalty and trust, you can make people stay. But if you encourage transparency on both sides, don't be surprised. Also, if there's no confidence in company leadership, that's another way that people at work get to apathy. You know, they they believe that their people are incompetent. That means the work that they do is incompetent because it it's not something that they feel matters to the company because the company is going in a different direction. There's also... Um, uh, if there's a lack of recourse for people's poor performance. When we go to work, we like to be rewarded and recognized for our contributions. But if this isn't happening, or worse, people doing medi- medi- uh, mediocre work are getting treated the same or treating as performers, uh, and they end up getting buried somewhere in the company just to get rid of them, you know, it's natural just to turn off and, and turn your job into autopilots. And so this is something that's often considered that leads to apathy when there's poor communication. You know, that's another thing that can just kill an organization. That means there's always surprises. There's always uncertainty because at the last minute, something gets dropped on you. Well, poor communication and a lack of understanding of what's going on in the company can lead people to apathy and leads to a lot of unhappiness. And sadly, when you're not feeding your employees with motivation, with good communication, good leadership, you know, a strong sense of where we're headed, um, you're not getting the best out of people. And it's so sad because they feel that they are disposable also. Also, if your company allows people to have to work around unpleasant people, that's very demeaning to people to have to deal with unpleasant people, especially if you promote them. You know, unpleasant people can really torture someone at work. We spend more time at work than we do with our own families. And our waking hours are at work and not as much of our waking hours are engaged with our families in real one-on-one time. And it's so sad to stick us in a situation where we're stuck with unmotivated or unpleasant coworkers. And so that's something as an employer you need to consider. Is this someone we can work with? You know, also uh, boredom. You know, uh, people want more satisfying jobs. They want jobs that pay well, uh, but also that are engaging and that are fun and they're fulfilling. You know, uh, people that are over 65 are and still working are excited about their work and they want to be inspired. And that's a good example of how people think. You know, it's important for them to be inspired by work. Let's also look at students. You know, you want to give students uh, duties, responsibilities, instead of assigning them, uh, you know, it it can be like assigning roles such as a greeter or a door opener. You know, it it can be uh, taking your students seriously and celebrate their successes because students get apathetic. They get discouraged because they don't see the end of what all this work is about. You want to teach them relevancy and be a positive model of good behavior and be consistent and fair. Allow students to have a voice, 
listen to them and accept the fact uh, that you won't connect with each and every student. So if you're in a teaching position, it's probably extremely important for you to be more inspirational rather than aspirational. You know, a strong connection uh, exists between apathy and mental disorders. You know, it, it's, uh, it's one of the hallmark schizophrenic uh, things. So schizophrenia it can often be shown by apathy in boys more at around 18 and girls more around 28 years old. So, you know, all periods, all people at all periods of life experience it. Um, disappointment can be an, uh, an element of it, but it's important to understand that apathy can destroy your life. I'm hoping in this last hour I've given you some tools to help you. That's our show. I, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you, and I do hear from so many people. DRGBMFT at SBCGlobal.net. Now, remember... Apathetic people are shrug dealers. Also, apathetic people experience death while they're alive. And you know that you have a horrible marriage when your children are cheering for two Christmases. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 